I want to talk with you just a minute about the changes in the church that's taking place. Will change come in the future? Uh, as the church uh, is concerned, good changes are always needed. Growth is essential to life. But what about, what about changes for the worse? What will be the outcome of, for people who are drifting and following trends and who find themselves on the proverbial slippery slope of just changing from one position to another? Will there be another major apostasy of the Lord's Church is a question that we often ask. Many historians and students of uh, of the trends and of the study of God's Word are predicting that the church will have its greatest opportunity in all history in the next few decades. One book that has drawn much attention is entitled Megatrends 2000 by John Nesbitt and uh, Patricia Aberdeen. And I just wanted to mention some things that they said. They have made some predictions. They said there will be a continual revival of fundamentalism in religion, revival of belief in God, and revival of the belief of the deity of Christ, that he is the Son of God. Number two, they predicted that the fastest growing churches will be conservative churches, ones that believe in the verbal inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Bible as the Word of God. Most parents, they predict, will seek religious training for their children, and that the School, the churches that are run, or the schools that are run by churches, will continue to grow and will be uh, a great advantage. Number four, they say that high potential growth is predicted for churches using high tech teaching approaches. Uh, for instance, they say a person isn't thinking that doesn't try to use the same methods that we have of advertising and over TV uh, of teaching people in the church that we do then. You know, their claim is that sermons ought to be about 10 minutes long and you ought to get everything you said in 30 minutes and 10 minutes. And I don't know whether we can ever do that or not. It predicts that churches will grow if they advertise, that they ought to advertise like, you know, you do in the penny saver, you do in, the, in this uh, uh, newspaper, and uh, that people are just curious enough that they go and check out what that you have if you have something good to offer. They say that people, the church will grow from their point of view if people are nice to people. And if they form a relationship with people. And that's biblical. 
That's really beautiful. I'm impressed by your coming up with that. And they, uh, and they said, if uh, you want to grow and stay in touch, you've got to meet people's needs. If you don't give people what they need, uh, they're not going to come back. If this prediction comes to pass, uh, what will churches of Christ, what will the churches of Christ be? Will we take notice to some of the points that people who have re really studied and they're studying the evangelical churches, which are the conservative churches, uh, how much of these things uh, will, uh, will be seen in an opportunity for uh, the truth of undenominational Christianity? We don't have anything to be ashamed of. We have everything to be proud of because of who we are. We're the people of God, and we have more than just our saying that we are the church of Christ and that we have the right teaching. We have the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit with us. We shouldn't take second seat to nobody. So we need to, will we make good changes keeping within the authority of Christ? And will we make the future? Will we make it bright and optimistic because uh, of some of the points that we, we read in that in those, uh, what those two people have come up with in their research. Now, on the other hand, I want to give you another picture, and then we're going to sort of emphasize some things in the inspiration from a conservative point of view, why we have something to offer because we believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. On the other hand, the following statement is tremendously challenged to the churches of Christ. It ought to be the body of Christ. And out our stand for the restoration of New Testament Christianity. Pearl Netlands Dissonant Voices Hindu Swami Vivekananda said, I am proud to belong to a religion that has taught the world both tolerance and universal acceptance. We believe not only in the universal toleration, but we accept all religions to be true. The Christian is not to become a Hindu or a Buddhist, or a Hindu or a Buddhist is not to become a Christian. But each must assimilate the others and yet preserve its individuality and grow according to its own law of growth. That's Erdman's book in 1991 it was written, it's on page 16. Now how much of this polytheism, which we call it if we're looking back in Bible times, we call it pluralism today. But it's many gods. God was always dissatisfied with it. But how much is it, is, is it how much of this is found in Christianity or so called Christianity, which you would say Christendom today? How much of this has watered down our view 
more religious philosophy the world is holding is holding to this devilish spirit. This is the spirit of Satan to get in and to destroy. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what your religion embraces. One church is as good as another. One religion is as good as another. You just need to be you just need to be honest about it. Now, you know, we have publications from our own brotherhood in the churches of our Lord that's confused about their identity and whether we're a denomination or whether we're the, we're the only church or not. And uh, while we say we seek unity, it appears that if we're not careful, we're promoting the old denominational theory that we are all Christians, no matter what a person believes or practices. And as you know, we need to be careful, and we need to understand that everybody who's sincere and honest is that there's just one, everybody's going to heaven, they're just in different vehicles, is a false position. When we continue to change to the point that we're no longer identifiable as the church of our Lord, the one that Jesus built on the rock, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the only way, according to Acts 4 and verse 12. Peter stood up and said, when he was questioned, he said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we can still say that and we can take pride in saying it. Jesus is, is the only way. In John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh from the Father but by me. That's still the way it is. I'm sorry. The Jews that write in their papers, and I've mentioned the time before, Brother Rosier shared with me some that he gets. They said, well, if Jesus was the Messiah, why are the Jews still punished? And why are they still persecuted? That's the reason. That could be the reason. He could be trying to teach them that he's the Messiah and the king on the throne. And not even logical to, to ask that question, really, in view of everything that's been written and in view of all the persecution that Jesus underwent when he was here. There never was a more stubborn person than, than Paul. And yet he was taught that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. People outside Christ have no hope, according to Ephesians 2 and 12. There's no hope. You're without Christ, and you're without salvation, and you're without the blood, and you're without sight of the body, according to Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. They're all clear about this. The saved are added to the body, according to Acts 
And Jesus is the Savior of the body, according to Ephesians 5 and verse 23. And the body is the church, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and in all and through all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it's just that way. It was that way in the first century. It's that way now. Christ is the Savior. He is the Lord. We must not change the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith unto faith. This is our plea. This is what we have to offer. And we need to stick with it, and we need to help people to to understand that it's always true. Now, in the remaining of this lesson, I want to help you to see some places in the Bible that so dynamically teach that the Bible is inspired. And when we, this is just a, a lesson that is helping us to be conservative and to be, to have confidence and to take courage that we have the message from God. I think we need to go over it and over it because we have a message from God. We need to get into the Word. We need to read. We need to study. We, we have in, in, in your bulletin, we put this week, uh, you've already read, if somebody, people have followed you, read the New Testament through one time. You can read it through a number of times this year if we can follow that. Now, you don't have to do it that way. You can do it a number of ways. But we need to be in touch with God's Word. And I want you to look at John, the Gospel according to John, 1 through 4, because whether or not we believe that the Old Testament and New Testament are inspired of God, God is, is a real author. It's extremely important if the Bible is not inspired, because then it would be the most despicable book. Instead of claiming to be God speaking, telling us how to live in such a way that we can one day join him in heaven, think of that in John 14. About he, he said, you know, you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, if I were, or so I would have told you. For I go to the far place for you. I go to the far place for you. I'll come and I'll receive you again unto myself. That where I am, ye may be also. It would only be men speaking instead of claiming to tell us the truth of which we will. John, this same gospel, 8 and 30, you say, you should know the truth, the truth will make you free. It would be human philosophy and, and opinions instead of God's word. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 and 19, he said, if we, remember this, if we, have hope in Christ. In this life only, we are of all men most miserable or pitied, to be pitied. Now you just think about that. Now, how a person understands inspiration is real crucial. And that's, a, that's in the, how we handle what he's written. That's another thing, and that's when we come into hermeneutics and we can study about that, but really to believe the inspiration, it's the process 
which the Holy Spirit guided the writers so that they wrote. And what they wrote was God, what God desired us to have. Now you think about it. If we have what God wanted us to have, and we don't read it, and we don't study it, and we're not motivated by it, we're not respecting God very much. It was not dictation because the educational preparation and personal characteristics of the writers are clearly visible. Neither was it a divine impulse or suggestion to be developed according to the opinions and views of the writer. It wasn't that. The claim of the writer and almost universal conviction of the believer across the ages is that the Bible does not just contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God. Now, the modernists say, well, it contains the Word of God. Some of the thoughts are probably inspired and some of them are not. No. Here's a quotation from Charles Hodges. And I think it's a Hodge. It's not doesn't have an S on it. Hodge. And it's from a book that uh, I think is well-worded. He said, Inspiration is the act of the Spirit controlling those who make the truth known to others. The thoughts, the truths made known, and the words in which they are recorded are declared to be equally from the Spirit. So that means you believe in verbal inspiration. This, from the first to the last, has been the doctrine of people who believe in divine inspiration. And we need to understand what Moses uh, had to say when he wrote to us. And I'm just going to show you a few things that we have here in scriptures. And this is nothing but scripture, so if you want to turn to them, it'll just help you. You turn to, uh, to when he, he spoke to uh, Moses, said, Now, then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth. This is what God told, told uh, Moses. And teach you, this is in Exodus 4 and 12. This is when he called him. And he says, I want you to go, and I will be with you. I will be with your mouth. David, the singer of the psalm, in 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2, here's what, here's what the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Now, on occasion, if you want to turn to Psalms 19, 7 and 8, this is show where that he spoke one time. And he said, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. Well, that's what God wanted us to know. And that's what he gave Psalms. And if we don't if we don't believe it and we don't use it, we're not, uh, we just, in a way, we're, we're ignoring God. Now, in Isaiah, the 30th chapter, and verse 8, Isaiah claimed the Lord told him, listen to this, 
Now go and write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that it may serve the time to come as a witness forever. Now that's how long. You know, we found the first Isaiah and the second Isaiah and we used to think, well, there were two Isaiahs. But we found out that they just got lost in the Babylonian captivity. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found out there was one Isaiah. And it has been preserved. And they didn't think that it really was a book. They didn't think that it was put together. They had all kinds of theories about it. But God knows how. He said he'd preserve it. Now, when Jeremiah pleaded, in Jeremiah, the first chapter, in verse 9, he pleads that his youth prevented him from being able to speak for God. He recounts and says this, Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, a person who's conservative, a person who believes in inspiration, believes these things, and it makes a difference. It makes a difference when we, when we do. Now, Amos, in Amos, the third chapter, and that's in the Minor Prophets, in 7 and 8, uh, he says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. To his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord, as God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Jesus declared it was God who actually spoke the words written by Moses in Genesis 2 and verse 24 in Matthew 19. Now think about that. Jesus is on the stand. And he said that Moses, that the words of Genesis are spoken by Moses. And he quoted and he says, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? You know, who created male and female? Jesus Christ did. Before he ever came to the flesh. And said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. Now, old Peter, he quoted Psalms 26 and 25, stating it was the Holy Spirit that spoke through David. Well, this is in Acts 1 and verse 16, when he's preaching his first sermon. He said, Brethren, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth. He believed in verbal inspiration. And he believed in inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He believed the Word of God must be heard and preached. The mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Paul, when he was preaching in the last chapter of the book of Acts, quoted Isaiah. He quoted Isaiah in, in verse 9, affirming it was the Spirit who spoke through Isaiah. 
He said, and when they, this is when he first got the wrong, and the Jews gathered together and heard him, and they were mumbling, and they didn't know, they didn't have much against him because they hadn't heard very much of what went on. But they heard him, but they started to hear him, and he's talking about the Messiah. Uh, they didn't know whether they were going to hear all that or not. And some of them were murmuring, and some of them, I can't buy And he just turned around and quotes the scripture and says, I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit who spoke through Isaiah in the ninth chapter, or the sixth chapter, in the ninth verse said, exactly what's happening here. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet. He called him by name. Did he know the scriptures that well? I guess he did, or maybe he was just speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. But I'll tell you, he 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 studied three years over in Arabia, putting all this together. Now he's been on three journeys. And that's all opened up to him. An old stubborn Jew who didn't even receive Christ as a Messiah now has received him and is whipped and, and beaten and cast out of every city he went into. And now he's over in, in Rome and he knows he has to be there. And he knows God's hand has been in it to bring him to the, to the capital of the world rulership right now. And he's now preaching the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. He said, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. The writer of the Hebrews quotes from Jeremiah. The writer of the Hebrews quotes from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. And attributes the words of the Holy Spirit. This is probably Paul. We don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews, but no indications he was a writer or a Barnabas or one person. It doesn't matter. God was the author. Whoever wrote it, God was back of it. And here's what he quoted in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, 15 through 17. He said, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after uh, saying, This is the covenant that I'll make with, with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts, upon their minds, I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now Jesus said to him, toward the inspired word comes through loud and clear. When he says on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, or he said, one small letter, or one stroke, one dot of the I or the crossing of the T, we would say today, shall not pass from the law until all things are accomplished. And then he says in John the 10th chapter and verse 35, the scriptures cannot be broken, for they're inspired. Jesus often called attention to the right, to the fact that it was his task to fulfill all things written about him in the Old Testament. I want you to look at that chapter 24 and 44. One of my favorite books is Luke, and that's one of my favorite passages. 
These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. But all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. You know what the law of Moses includes? It includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know what the prophets include? Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, or uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. That's the Psalms. And you know the, uh, the prophets, though, would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. That's the prophet. In the Hebrew Bible, there was those 17 prophets and all of the books of history were the prophets. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm all the way through those. I'm all the way through those. The law and the prophets, there's just three divisions in the Hebrew Bible. The Psalms and the prophets. In addition, Jesus promised his disciples that after his departure, the Holy Spirit would guide them. You remember those two passages in John the 14th and 26? He said, I'm going to bring to your remembrance I'm going to all things that I teach you. He will teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance, and he'll show you things to come. That's the past, present, and future. Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit would not only fulfill the things in the Old Testament, but that he'd give a New Testament. And in 16 and 13, he said, But when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. The process of the Holy Spirit produced the Word of God through a human subject is outlined by Paul. And Paul's first Corinthian letter 2, verses 12 and 13, is a great passage. You ought to turn to that right now. And it just sort of sums up what we have to say. First Corinthians, the second chapter, 12 through 15. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, I may not be reading from the, the King James, but it's just New American Standard Prophet. But the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. For this reason, the New Testament writings are referred to as the Scripture in the same as the Old Testament. Peter, in a comment regarding the writings of Paul, states, and regard the patience of our Lord to our save, to our salvation. You can look at that if you want to. It's 2 Peter 3, 15, 16. Just as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, he, he's showing that he was surprised. Wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort. Or as he said, they rest the scripture according to the, Americans, uh, the King James, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. In a wonderful statement, in the New Testament, I think one of the ones that sums this up, and we can stop with it. 
is in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. It's a wonderful statement that the Hebrew writer, he affirms, is really God who is the speaker through the prophets of the Old Testament and through his Son in the New Testament. That's what First Peter, that's what Hebrews 1 says. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Now, in that second chapter of Hebrews, he said, if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him by signs, wonders, and divers, milk, and gifts, according to the Holy Spirit, puts Christ and them inspired. And you know in 2 Timothy, the second, third chapter in 16, he said all scriptures inspired of God is profitable correction for instruction and righteousness that the man of God might be complete, completely furnished unto every good work. How much can I say? There's many things we can say, but this just goes to emphasize over and over that we have a great opportunity for growth in the church of Christ today. And the thing that can set us apart is just believing in God and preaching it and teaching it and being convinced that, yes, we are the people of God and that we have power and that we have help and that God is depending on us to be faithful. And he's going to help us. And brethren, as I said this morning, we have a lot of people who fall fallen to the wayside. We have a lot of brothers and sisters that they're real cold. And we need to pray for them. We need to pray with them. A preacher went out to visit a couple one time. They hadn't been coming. And they were sitting before the fireplace. And he reached with the tongs off of the fire and he got a cold piece of that was burning red hot and he just put it out on the, from the fire and he let it get, get cold and he let it get it was no longer hot it was no longer an amber it was no longer any fire and then he, he proceeded to tell him that you know, when, when we're not together, the person says, you don't have to say anymore. I got your point. We need to reach out. We need to help people. And the thing that will do it is our belief and inspiration in God and that we're workers with Him. We have the dynamite of heaven within our mind. The magic word is attitude. The attitude is that we have the power in the message and that God is with us when we... He said, if my word abides in you, then I abide in you. And whatever you ask, I'll do. What a powerful people we can be.
you're here this evening, you're not a Christian. You know, you become a Christian this evening. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb just by confessing Him and claiming Him. And if you have been indifferent and, and you have let Him out of your life, that's the only thing that can help you is the life of Christ. May we share Him with you as we stand together and sing.